Hello, everybody. My name is Cameron Caldwell, and you're listening to the Close the Deal podcast, where we talk to finance professionals to help educate, motivate, and inspire you. On this episode, we talk to Akash Mudra, who has a wealth of experience in different finance roles, including accounting, consulting, strategy, private equity, and where he is today as a CFO of a global payment service provider. Hello, Akash. Welcome to the Close the Deal podcast. How are you doing today? Very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. And I'm really excited to share whatever little I know. No, um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're delighted to have you here. So maybe you could start off with just giving our audience a bit, bit of background into your kind of upbringing and what you're doing today. Sure. Um, so currently, professionally, I'm the global CFO for a company called PayU. Uh, Payu is a fintech arm of Naspers and Process Group, and I've been with the group for about seven years now. Uh, my responsibilities include operational finance, uh, where I devote one third of time, uh, one third of time on strategy and M&A, uh, and then one third of time on uh, stakeholder management. That's what I've been doing for the last seven years. But prior to that, I've done a bunch of things, uh, including private equity, venture capital, um, corporate development in a company, uh, consulting, and I've also been a designer of ready-made kitchens. Uh, professionally, I'm a chartered accountant uh, and also an MBA, uh, and I've traveled across the world, lived in different geographies, so that's me. No, thank you for that introduction, and we can maybe delve into some of those topics a bit more as, as we continue the conversation. Um, I think maybe just to start, let's go back to your kind of initial education. You talked about your chartered accountancy. We'll, we'll come to that slightly later, but maybe let, let, let's go back to the start where you, you studied in India and you studied um, commerce to begin with. At that time, did you really know what you wanted to do for a longer term career? Could you see yourself as a, a CFO at that time or, or, or were you just kind of choosing commerce? Um, I, I know a lot of people kind of go into commerce because perhaps they they want to do something in business, but they don't know quite what. Um, was that the kind of thinking for you as well? Uh, no, so look, uh, a lot of people these days when I when I see the kids, right, a lot of people actually feel, oh, I want to do this. And I was so clear when I was leaving school. For me, it was very different. No, I wasn't clear. Uh, I studied in a school in a very small town in India called Devas. And then when I graduated from school, um, I was actually sitting at home and one of my uncles showed up from Delhi saying, hey, He's got such incredible marks or like performance in grade 12. He probably will get into one of the Asia's best colleges for commerce, which is Sri Ram College of Commerce, where typically you need 97, 98th percentile to get into a college. Uh, And that's how I got into commerce. Uh, It wasn't pre-planned. It wasn't just, okay, this is what I want to do. The only influence that was there was that my father uh, is a chartered accountant uh, and that played some role into it. Uh, I never wanted to go into medicine, uh, wanted to do finance or wanted to do engineering and I chose commerce. Yeah, like um, likewise, my father is a chartered accountant as well. So (laughs) hence the the pathway in. Um, I, I guess so then. You, you studied commerce, uh, finished the degree, and then you went into a role in accounting and then also in corporate banking while also studying for your CA um, qualification. How was that experience? Uh, 
Yeah, so look, when I was uh, when uh, when I was finishing my uh, commerce degree in undergrad, uh, I first made a, a failed attempt at doing an MBA. Uh, so I wanted to go to an IIM, and in India, uh, IIMs are considered very big, and the admissions is very hard. Uh, I couldn't make it to the IIM, so I did not want to kind of spend another year preparing for IIM and going in. And that time I did not have the knowledge to say, OK, you should first work and then go for MBA, etc. Um, so I decided to go into CA because entry in CA is easy. They say between CA and MBA, there is a difference, right? They call entry in CA is easy, exit is difficult. Uh, in MBA, uh, entry is difficult, exit is easy, right? That's the difference between the two. Uh, so I decided to do my CA alongside CA. Uh, you are supposed to do some apprenticeship or some articleship as they call it in, in an accounting firm. And also you can choose to become a trainee somewhere. So I chose the option of becoming a trainee. So I did the accounting tax part and then I did the uh, banking part. Uh, I'm actually so glad that I did all of that because you never know 26, what, maybe 30 years ago when I started my CA, um, those things are even helping me today. I think the, the message there is whatever we do, uh, we should do it 100%, right? And keep the learnings that we've had as we progress in life. And I think that has helped a lot. Yeah, I think you've probably kind of slightly answered my next question, which is for careers in mergers and acquisitions, would you say the CA is still a beneficial program to undertake? Uh, so great question. I would actually say both. And the reason I did both uh, was CA teaches you the basics, makes you very strong from a knowledge standpoint. Uh, you understand accounting, you understand tax, you understand balance sheet, you understand financials, you understand costing, all of that. Uh, MBA polishes you. Uh, MBA polishes you and polish is equally important. Mm -hmm. The ability to stand in the boardroom and convince the CEO saying this transaction makes sense uh, will only come from MBA. The logic of the transaction and the numbers and what synergies etc can come from CA. Uh, so I think I am in a camp where both are very important and people should pursue both. Uh, and, and I can maybe elaborate a little more to say instead of CA, you can do something which depends your knowledge in finance. So it could be a CFA also. It could be a CA also. And then MBA or instead of an MBA, you can do something which is a lot more personality development, communication, being able to communicate the right story. Uh, I think that also helps, right? So that combination is required to succeed. Uh, and in what order would you say that is most effective and so for example you were saying it's good to have some work experience before going to do the MBA would you recommend studying for the CA in that initial period of work experience or what yes. order would you recommend yes okay. yes okay. because CA is a lot more about uh, studying from the books and CA also entails some part of auditing so while you're doing your CA you have to work yeah okay which okay, is a requirement yeah, uh, but for MBA, I think it's important that you have some work experience in your belt and then you go and do that. 
Yeah, that, that definitely. I, I think a lot of our students listening will be probably thinking towards an MBA at some stage in the future. So those are very valid points. Um, I, I guess let's um, let's move on to post um, your kind of accounting qualification period where you actually went into consulting very much like one of our guests we had last week on the show uh, who went into consulting first. Could you tell us a bit more about how that experience kind of shaped what you eventually moved into, which was more of the internal corporate finance investment side um, kind of work experiences? Look, so when I went into consulting, I actually did not do corporate finance. I, I was mostly into business wow. process consulting. Um, so this is again, uh, I completed my CA and it was not that I wanted to do mergers and acquisitions or uh, private equity, but um, you know, I was in India and those were the days when there used to be telegrams, right? The, the real telegram yeah. uh, where there was no phone. So I got my CA result and I had some all India position. Uh, so Anderson Consulting, uh, which now has become Accenture, used to do yeah. strategy consulting in India. And they called me saying, hey, you are one of the rank holders. Why don't you come and interview with us? Uh, I went with an open mind, uh, had a bunch of interviews and then realized that Consulting is a great place to start to broad base your experience because every project is different, every industry is different, uh, and it it really helps in. It's like it's like doing British curriculum versus let's say a IB or an American curriculum, right? Where in British curriculum grade year 11, 12, you start going deep, versus in 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 IB. And I'm not saying one is right, the other is wrong. You, you kind of broad base your experience and then you can decide eventually what you want to do. So that's where consulting helped me quite a bit. I was there for a couple of years and, and then I became an entrepreneur myself. I wanted to try something different, which is when I went into ready-made kitchens. But that was also more I wanted to be with my family in India at that point due to some family reasons. Um, so, so yeah. And then, yeah, so then, then then post this, I guess the entrepreneur kind of stage where you, you came up with the, the ready-made kitchen business was also kind of very valuable because that was probably the first time you'd really kind of seen a business kind of from scratch and building that up. So being kind of aligned with how businesses think in terms of investment, et cetera, it's probably a very, very beneficial experience. I guess I'm um, moving kind of post that. This is when you you joined um, AT&T um, and their kind of corporate strategy department. And then you also had a kind of whole host of different roles in investment strategy, et cetera. Could you maybe talk us through um, essentially the those kind of experiences in investment M&A strategy that led up to your roles as a CFO? So sure. Uh, so look, I finished my MBA and then AT&T uh, was through campus where I worked in corporate strategy, M&A, corporate planning. Uh, and uh, I really, they had this financial leadership program, right? So in that program, you would rotate kind of once every six months in a different department. And that right. gave me a lot of experience. And eventually it, it, it resulted in, uh, so I got exposed for the first time to real M&A where AT&T got sold to a company called SBC. This was a $19 billion transaction, which we did in 2005. Um, and great experience. I was a part of the team uh, that did it and really, uh, really understood what M&A means and why is it done and what's the difference between financial investment versus a strategic investment, uh, how SBC is going to derive value from this transaction, et cetera. 
Uh, and then because that deal happened, uh, I was a part of the synergy, which means my job was cut uh, like everybody else in AT&T at that point of time. And I had to do something different. So I went back to India and joined some uh, joined Bharti Airtel uh, in the chairman's office of Airtel uh, doing strategic planning. Again, very different investment uh, experience, not typical m and uh, but how a founder-run organization thinks about strategic decision-making. And I think that was very critical, which also included m and which included investments, uh, but this was a much broader uh, portfolio. Uh, having done that for about a few years, and look, uh, I've done a bunch of things, and the reason I've done a bunch of things is because I, I have to love going to my work every day in the morning. That's the basic principle that I follow. So if I don't enjoy, then there is time to do something different, right? Uh, and then I moved into kind of private equity, venture capital world. Uh, that taught me about financial investment, right? Because the, uh, the rationale with which private equity and venture capitalists make investment is financial returns, right? So if I'm making like buying 10%, 15%, 20% into the company, how much money can I make over the next three, four years? And an exit is also very important. That's a very different way to look at uh, transactions and corporate finance versus doing strategic m and which is what I do today. Uh, as the CFO, I've done like 40 different transactions. And, and the last one we did was a $4.7 billion transaction in India where we acquired Buildesk. But these are all strategic investments where the rationale of doing investment is more around how my core strategy and my core business get strengthened by this acquisition. And one plus one uh, is not equal to two, but probably 11, right? Over a longer period of time, right? It should make sense. So that's the journey. Last 10 years have been as a CFO. And I've yeah. really, after being in venture capital and private equity, uh, I realized, look, I want to be on the other side of the table, which means it's easy to invest, sit on the board of companies, but it's hard to actually be on the other side where you acquire companies and you do really hard stuff in terms of integrating those companies, putting those companies together, and also operational finance. So the last 10, 11 years have been in, in that, including a lot of fundraising when I was with Snapdeal, right? One of the essential things that you also do for a company yeah. is being on the other side, raising money from investors is very different from investing. Right? You've seen both sides of the table. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I guess maybe a, a couple of questions on particularly, um, I guess, both the strategic trade side and also the investment side. What makes a kind of good M&A deal or has there been a certain set of factors that you've seen across your, your whole career you would say that makes a good uh, transaction? Um, so look, uh, I think I'm just kind of framing my thought here. So on the strategic side of things, uh, let me start by saying M&A is not a strategy, right? Um, first, you have to have your strategy, which is very clear. Where, what business we are in, uh, what customers we are trying to serve, what is the customer need that we are trying to meet, what is the opportunity, 
and how can we augment this opportunity organically as well as inorganically? There are some companies which don't do M&As at all, and there are some companies which believe that inorganic is the right way to go. Uh, so that's on the strategy side, right? And then once you pursue inorganic strategy, before going into the company, you need to know what will happen on day one when the transaction closes. What will the first 90 days look like? We actually have like by hour when the deal gets closed, there is by hour scheduled to say, okay, there is a town hall that needs to be conducted. There is leadership meeting that needs to happen, so on and so forth, because these are all very confidential transactions, right? So full plan of 90 day, 180 day, there has to be this whole integration uh, book uh, as, as you call it. Uh, so very different play and then you have to realize value because when you are working on the transaction, you make certain assumptions and you say, okay, these are the synergies. If this company is doing A, we are doing B, we put the two together, we basically get into the full value chain. Uh, then, then um, those synergies have to really happen uh, because otherwise MNAs fail. Uh, and timing is essential, right? So you have to have the buy-in from relevant people and I can go on and on, but I want to keep it brief. Uh, and, and then the second side of it, which is the financial investment, right? When you're looking at financial investment, their thinking is very different. Their thinking is, who's the founder? First, who's the founder and the team? Are these guys capable enough of building a great business? Are these great entrepreneurs that I want to back? Second comes, are they in the space which is going to grow very, very fast? And three, in the next five to seven years, how big can this company be? And so what will be my exit options as an investor? I think very different way to think when you are looking at financial investment versus when you're looking at strategic investments. Yeah, for sure. I, I, it's, it's quite interesting that the financial piece seems a, a lot more clear cut um, with just perhaps the the investment thesis, the market and the management analysis type. And then whereas the kind of strategic side is, is a lot more strategic, so to speak. <laughs> um, so that, that's really interesting to hear. I mean, maybe just one final question before we kind of wrap up the discussion, I guess, on the kind of flip side of that. Um, the nature of deal making, right, is that every deal isn't going to go to plan. Um, is there anything that you've seen perhaps in your experiences that has taught you kind of what a, a bad deal is or is there any kind of bad experiences that, 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 you, that you think would be useful for the students to learn from? Oh, the great question and uh, it, it will happen all the time as long as we don't make the same mistake again. We've made mistakes in the past. Uh, it is important to do a lot of work, and I'm talking about right now around strategic investments and m and uh, to do a lot of homework upfront. And whatever assumptions that you are making uh, to make the deal sound successful, those assumptions have to be stress tested. Very important. Uh, similarly, uh, there has to be um, proper diligence done on the company, right? Like what the company is talking about versus what it really is. Uh, very, very important. Uh, and all kinds of diligences, not just financial diligence, tax diligence, commercial diligence, business diligence, uh, IP diligence, uh, security diligence, if it's a tech play, uh, um, 
bunch of things, right? And and so a lot of, and there is no room for casualness in MA. Uh, I think that is, you have to be like, and all the, the upfront homework has to be done. In spite of that, things will not go as planned, uh, but you have to be able to quickly shift gears and put things back on track. One another important piece is if you're bringing some company in, culture plays a very, very important role, right? And you have to make sure that the culture of your company versus the culture of the other company, if it's different, how are you going to align it? And if it is the same, then how are you going to preserve it? Uh, very important. And the third is people. You don't want a situation where good people in your company or good people in the company being acquired leave the organization because there is an m &A. So you have to make sure all this in advance saying, how are you going to ring fence people? How are you going to integrate culture? How are you going to plan for integration across all the different streams? And how are you going to do diligence? Because somewhere, sometimes some things will always go wrong. Yeah, no, that's... Uh... I mean, that, that is kind of very pertinent. I think the due diligence part is definitely very important, perhaps sometimes overlooked by students who are looking to go into the business, because that can be a really interesting area of M&A as well, where you can really kind of hone in on the details. I guess, okay, so just to, to, to wrap up our, our conversation, it was really good speaking with you, um, Akash. Um, I think maybe firstly, what, what advice? I mean, you kind of touched on a lot of different pieces of advice from MBAs, et cetera, to to mistakes there at the end. Um, what main piece of advice do you have for students then looking to pursue a career in M&A? Uh, it's a very, very interesting field. Uh, that's the first part. Second part is know yourself, which means it can work for people uh, phenomenally and some people are just not meant for it. Uh, so know yourself, I would say, is most important then. Uh, and then the third is, uh, of course, definitely try it out. If you get an opportunity to do M&A, you should definitely, because it's a great learning. Across the organization, you interact with different people, you get exposed to different things, and then you can make an informed judgment for yourself after you do it for a couple of years as to whether you want to spend your life in it or not. Uh, but it's a very, very interesting, intriguing, amazing, exciting, keeps you on your toes all the time uh, and 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 a, a field worth pursuing for sure. Yeah, de definitely a very exciting industry to, to be in at the moment. Um, I guess then just to, to wrap up, what does the future look like for you? Well, I'm not a... I don't do crystal ball glazing, grazing. So, uh, uh, but look, I'm enjoying myself. I've been here seven years, and I continue to to love what I do uh, and uh, and live in the moment that I am in. Uh, I guess the next ten years are going to be more now giving back to the society um, and uh, helping uh, as many entrepreneurs, founders, and companies. Uh, to grow uh, in in their own businesses. That's um that's very inspiring. <laughs> so yeah, good 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 luck with that kind of next stage of um giving back, Akash. And thank you very much for joining us on the Close the Deal podcast. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me here, and I hope I added some value. Yeah.
Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Check out our M&A competition at closeadealcompetition.com and subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know about future episodes.